here we are again for the 22nd time. Every has it playlist, been 22? 20, this is the big 22. 22. That's awesome. Yeah. Every playlist tells a story. I'm Todd. I'm Jimmy. And uh, we're back for another week of this stuff. Yeah. Fun stuff. We got some great songs this week. That's right. We do. We got some good stuff. Hey, before we get started, um, Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Um, that... It was a shocker, but not surprising. I mean, David Lee Roth said a few weeks ago that, you know, that Eddie was in bad shape and he never thought Van Halen would 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 ever tour again. Really? I didn't see that. Well, and Dave says a lot of crap. Sure. And so it's hard to really take what he says seriously <laughs> right. sometimes. So, right. But, I mean, that's, that was a pretty bold statement. That kind of, Well, when he said that, I was like, well, that just means... They're going on out with Sammy, right? In my opinion, yeah. You know, they're not going to tour with him anymore because I know, you know, they haven't always been buddies. So right, yeah, they've come and comes and comes in waves. But you know that really, Dave is the only one. Uh, Dave and Sammy, and you know, Michael's with Sammy now with the the circle. Yeah. So they were the only ones talking, and Alex and Eddie. You never heard anything out of them, you know. No, yeah, this, they were not. Public. They've always been like that, though. I mean, it's they've yeah. always seemed, you know. Every now and then you hear Eddie say something, but Alex, I don't never, never hear from Alex. Never hear from yeah. Alex. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they're kind of like Angus and Malcolm were. They just never, right? Uh, they never had press releases or well, and interviewed. You, everything I've ever seen about you know the making of the band or behind the scenes stuff or whatever is, you know. It's it's that brother connection, like I said, Malcolm and Angus. I mean, it was always, yeah. you know, you're not going to break through and, and get in the middle of that brother thing with Eddie and Alex. You know, yeah. Because they hold all the keys. Yeah, it's it, they're always going to be 50% of the vote. So Yeah, so but, when, it, when it actually happened, it, you know, I was in the middle of a, we were in a conference call at work, and it was like all the general managers and finance people, you know, there was a, there was a call every Tuesday, every other Tuesday, and right. It, right toward the end, somebody brought it up that he died right in the middle of that yeah. Zoom call, and right. I was just like, I just couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. But at the same time, I thought, damn, I was fortunate to be able to catch Ed and Dave twice. Yeah, you know, in 2015, and then when we went it's and saw 17, them, yeah. Um, so I was so happy to have you know, because I talked about. Missing out on Waylon and right, and, you know, and, and regretting that. And I said, "There's no way in hell I'm missing, you know, this is this reprised Van Halen with Wolfgang on board." And so, I, you know, I was grateful for that. But at, at the same time, it, it's sad that it's never going to happen again. And, and I've talked about it before. I think I talked about it a couple of weeks ago with Ozzy. You know, to me, this is. I'm afraid that this is like the beginning of all my heroes, kind of. No, it's already you know, started. Yeah, and it and it's it's you know it's weird because I was out of town on work and I got a call from my wife that I was doing something else, so I I couldn't take the call. And when I called her back, she's like, "I just wanted to see if you were okay." And I'm, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm fine. Why? What happened? And for whatever reason, I you know usually I get the little alerts pop up on my phone, this, that, and the other, and I just I guess I didn't get them. And she was like, "Well, Eddie Van Halen passed away." And I'm like, "Oh my!" God. And then I think a few minutes later, I got the text from you. It's like, "Oh my God, 
it's in you know yeah it's so wild and you know it it happened I, it was an off day for me so i was i think i was traveling and uh it was weird just kind of being alone with my thoughts and i when i was in i think it was seventh or eighth grade i went to catholic grade school and we had this principal that was he was hard ass you know catholic school principal guy okay and there was some field trip, and I don't remember the specifics, but there was a field trip to some, you know, old church or something like that that we were all going on. And uh, for whatever reason, the, the bus was full. And so the principal was driving his personal car, and it was me, my buddy Jason, and uh, I think another buddy, Mike, was with us. It was mm. three of us. And it ended up, hey, you're just going to ride with the principal up to this field trip because there's no room on the bus. Now, looking back on it, I have no idea if there really was no room on the bus or we were just the bad kids. And he, <laughs> right. wa- he wanted to keep special special attention on us to make sure we don't whatever, right. you know, go astray. But what I remember from that trip is we left the school parking lot and we were talking about, hey, we should go by Jason's because he had one of those big jam box freaking tape recorder, tape player things. Oh, yeah. And we convinced the principal to go by his house. He went in and grabbed that and grabbed like two or three. It was like Van Halen 1, Van Halen 2, and probably Women and Children First or something like that. I don't even remember which one, but there were like three different Van Halen cassettes. And we took that whole trip up to this go visit a church, rocking freaking David Lee Roth Van Halen with the principal. And it was hot for teacher. It mm. was it it was <laughs> it was ridiculous. And it was like you know I think back on it I'm like you know number one I don't even know why the three of us up ended up in the car with him. You know like I said I you know it seems like the bus was full, but hindsight, you know my buddy Jason was kind of a troublemaker and. Me and Mike ran with him, so I don't know if it was, again, to keep an eye on us or whatever, but I thought it was the coolest thing that we just went by and we just freaking rocked Van Halen all the way up and back on this field trip. And what the principal say about... He, he was he's a Van Halen guy. He Oh, he was? Yeah. I okay. Mean, you know, being that hardcore Catholic school principal at the core of it, he was a Van Halen guy and he appreciated it. And it was just It was just a weird day in my foggy memory of childhood. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I found myself thinking about that trip driving. And, of course, I pulled up Spotify and started just rocking out to a ton of Van Halen stuff that day. Yeah. Last week, thinking about it, which I'm sure they did, and I saw some report that, you know, Van Halen catalog spiked like 1,700% yeah, or exactly. something. I mean, people in that, you know, a couple of the other podcasts, people are putting together their top five, you know, greatest Van Halen songs. and it's And it's interesting to me that, I'd say 95% of when you talk about classic Van Halen, it's mostly David Lee Roth era stuff. You know, I've heard Pound Cake mentioned a couple of times, Best of Both Worlds, right now, you know, same Hagar era stuff. But, you know, if you put 10 people together and say, what are your top five Van Halen songs, I would venture to say 45 of them would probably be David Lee Roth era stuff. Yeah, well, on Facebook, I, you know, I- you know, I see you know, there was a lot of posts. You know, oh, yeah. People just be reaching out. Yeah. And it's funny, like, the guys that were, you know, I want to say 10 years younger than me, were all Van Hagar. Yeah. Like, their first exposure to Van Halen was 51. 51, 50, yeah. And, uh, you know, and it, that's interesting because, well, and there's, I mean, I remember where I worked at Granger, and there was a guy that was, 
I, you know, maybe, maybe five years younger than me, and he was all Van Hagar. Pound Cake right. was the greatest we song are, We ever. are at that age where we are, like, right on that line, that divide line of Roth and Hagar stuff. Yeah, I was— I think we're kind of the end of the era because we were, what, 14, 15 when 84 came out? 84 came out in 83, and I would have been 13. Okay. So, and that was the last of the great, you know, I don't remember what year 5150 came out, but... 86. Okay, so we would have been 16. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it makes sense, but... I, I saw them and on the 5150 tours, my first time seeing Van Halen at Roberts. Right. It was uh, Bachman Turner Overdrive opened. Nice. Uh, that would have been, I think it was just when my brother got back from spring break going down there with a bunch of... Uh, Younger guys. Right. He was the one that got the beer. I mean, there was sure. those younger guys are still in high school. I think I've told you this story. I think before. we've talked about it, yeah. The picture of uh-huh. the fam- family car and yep. they're down there in front of the Daytona Hotel. I think they're in Daytona. And they just got back, and that concert was like a week later. So I'm going to say it was like, where am I? It was in, I'm going to say it was April of 86. It came out early in 86. Right, right. Um, yeah, so I've been 15. It was the last time. That night was the last time I ever touched Southern Comfort. Last time for Southern Comfort. I got huh? sick on that crap and haven't right. touched it since. Yeah. But um and that was a just a fantastic show. Yeah. It, I mean they Well, I mean down. that whole getting with Sammy and you know, number one, it was a, a different sounding Van Halen, but the the energy of a new direction and new sound and stuff was, was interesting. So I get that it was it would have been a good show. Um, but you know, and not the first thing I posted was my favorite memory of Eddie Van Halen was uh, when they played at Farm Aid in '85, right? Um, up in the first Farm Aid ever in Champaign. Mm-hmm. When that was the first time you saw Sammy and Ed get together, and that was a preview. I thought that was a preview of what was coming because right. they played Led Zeppelin rock and roll. Like Sammy played a few songs early, then Ed came out. And they played Led Zeppelin. And I thought they played something else, but I don't know if they televised it. But I was just like, oh, oh my God. This is, because I loved VOA. I loved Three Like Box. Right. You know, Sammy Hagar. But Three Like Box, Stan in Hampton. Right. You know, he was on the run. Oh, yeah. Was, Sammy was doing great. And I said, man, you combine that with the Van Halen sound, it's just yeah. going to shoot out into the yeah. cosmos. But it just, it they decided, you know, rock wasn't. They, they got more keyboards, you know, and then you put it on. It's like, okay, uh, what was the first track? Uh, Good Enough. I was like, okay, that's rocking out. Yeah. And then then it was, why can't this be love? I was like, all right. It, went, it, 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 did, go com- it did go very commercial. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, was, it was pop. Eddie didn't want to call it pop, but when you got keyboards going and not the, the sound that made you famous, right. you know what I mean? It's yeah. just like... All right, this is mainstream, but it was their first number one album, and it really opened up a whole new audience. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I, it, it took them in a different. They went from being that party band uh, to being that main commercially band. successful. Commercially successful. That's yeah. the best way to put it. Yeah, it was. Um, but it was so hard to convince Van Hagar fans that the Roth stuff was better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's. Yeah, it's it's. I think that'll be to me. That's an argument that is never won. I mean, you've got like you said, you got people that are the Hagar fans. You got people like me and you that are the Raw fans. And there's probably a you know one or two people out there that love Gary Sharon. So 
<laughs> Where are they? They're they're I don't I'm silently waiting for the next extreme album to come out. I don't know. It's just when you think of songs like Romeo's Delight and compare that to Dreams. Yeah. Or you know. I mean, I, I, everybody wants some. Yeah, and, and then you got How Do You Know When It's Love. I mean, it's just like it's not. This is cannot be this. They cannot use the same name. Yeah. No, it's, it's, at least you know, Rage Against the Machine went with Audio Slave. Right. You know, that's true. That's I, true. I, uh, it frustrated me, but that was just part of the part of the history. You know. Yeah. I mean. But it, it's all over. It's yeah. all over. I don't know what the hell could happen next. I mean, there was um, uh, there was a buddy of mine on Facebook that posted and like a video of them walking through fifty one fifty eight. He was showing them everything. Mm-hmm. It was like in ninety eight. I think is when this was filmed. It was MTV, and they showed this wall of like reel to reels, maybe, but just backlog of music that Eddie created. It was a huge wall. I always read in like the hit Praters or you know whatever magazines. I mean, the, the the mystique around him was he just had thousands and thousands of riffs and would just have a riff, record it, tuck it away somewhere. I can't even imagine what that vault sounds like. Of just you know, if every time he sat down and fiddled around on the guitar, recorded it to find something for the future, it's it's amazing to me that. What's what's potentially out there? It, it always drove me nuts. It's like you know, I heard that same story too. That why aren't you freaking making any music? You know. Yeah. Um, but when he showed that, because he said he had like a Radio Shack computer that they um, cataloged all that music, like okay. the box. Right. You know, they put it all on that hard drive, and that hard drive just fried, and they couldn't get any oh, of that information no. off there. So they don't know what's on. He, he said it back then that he didn't know what was what right. in that on that wall of, of music. So I'm, you know, I'm really hoping that, and I, you know, I've, you know, replied to that video he posted. I was like, I really hope Wolfgang inherits that yeah. wall of music and he does something with it. Well, and that's what I was just thinking too. I mean, obviously he's probably going to get access if anybody does, and hopefully there's there's enough there to piece together some you know the forgotten not thought through songs of eddie van halen that you know even if it's just an instrumental and just nothing but guitar Mm -hmm. you know you and you got to believe you know there's probably stuff out there with alex playing drums on it too but man i would love to just hear some of that catalog stuff of just ideas that are floating around even if they're 30 seconds long or 15 seconds long or 30 minutes long or whatever it is i mean you know, the story of Eruption was what? It was just him fooling around. Yeah, that's and, all it was. He yeah. didn't know they were recording. Yeah, it's just, it just fooling around. So it's if that's what fooling around is and becomes as legendary as that was, you got to believe that, you know. Well, he, he even said while they were in that, in that little room there, while, the, while all that was, he's like, uh, you know, the he mentioned the song right now. Um which was a big hit for them, for Van right. Hagar. Yep. He said, you know, I actually, you know, I was digging through this stuff and I found that piano riff on the stuff. Uh-huh. And I had actually wrote that song before I even wrote Jump. Wow. It was just stuff he'd recorded, yeah. you know. So that song is older than Jump, yeah. technically. You That's know, crazy. But never recorded it. So it makes you wonder, what else is he like? Yeah. Because 
there's nobody like him. There's no. just nobody. And if there's no record of it, you know it's going to be years and before they do anything. But I do hope that something comes of those vault recordings of things he's done in the past. So yeah, it, you know, I did, it would. Um, I, I would hope Angus would reach out to one of those, somebody in the Van Halen gang and right. would say, you know, listen, we. We just well because their new album is all stuff they found on Malcolm. Right. It's all you know Malcolm music. Yeah. And they just they got together and played off that. Right. Like the I don't know their nephew he's replaced Malcolm. Yeah. And we're for those that don't know Malcolm and we're talking about ACDC. So. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. We just kind of assume that. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening, you surely God you don't angus about it. I hope so. Car. Yeah. Uh, and then the only other story I heard on one of the other podcasts I was listening to was talking about Eddie Van Halen. I guess Dimebag Daryl, at the time that he oh, yeah. passed, right. I guess he was in the process of wanting to buy you know one of the guitars, one of Eddie's guitars, and was talking to him about buying one. And I guess you know that tragedy happened. And this the story, as I understand it, is that he shows up at the freaking funeral with the guitar. Now, this is the guitar that you see on the. Inside sleeve, or is it the back? It's the same guitar that shows up in Van Halen too. Yeah, the one he's pictured with. Right, that guitar. And he walks up and just lays it on dime in the casket. Yeah, yeah. He buries with and, the Van and no, Halen and, two and, album. And you know, nobody song. knows it's happening. He just shows up with this guitar, lays it in the casket, and it's buried with him. And that's that's the coolest shit, man. Yeah, I remember it was behind the music. They were talking to his brother, Mida. Yeah, and he said, man, if Dime, if Dime somehow knows that Eddie laid the Van uh-huh. Halen two guitar in him. That's, that's, that's homage, man. Yeah. That's, I don't know. And then last thing, I don't know, did you watch Saturday Night Live this week? I haven't watched Saturday Night Live in years. Man, I'm going to tell you what. Jack White was the musical artist. I heard about this. And the first song, number one, both songs he played were amazing. And there's the drummer has got... His drum set almost like leans forward a little bit. It's a it's a very interesting setup. But both songs were fantastic. But the second song he played, I guess, was like an Eddie Van Halen guitar. Um, oh, like his like one of Eddie Van Halen's signature, signature series. series. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Um, and there was like a little bit of a homage to him too. And it was cool. It was cool as shit. I, I didn't even realize it was an Eddie Van Halen guitar until I saw something on Facebook. But it right. was. But, but yeah, if you can look up those Saturday Night Live Jack White performances, number one, that guy is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, if there's, to me, if there's somebody that's going to attempt to follow in those Eddie Van Halen footsteps, which no one's ever going to hundred percent do it, but have that that creative inspiration or whatever you want to call it that led to whatever Eddie did, I think, I mean, Jack White's got to be up there. I mean, he's just he's an original. I remember seeing there. There was some guitar documentary. It was Jack White, The Edge, and maybe oh, Jimmy Page. it might Page. get loud. It might get loud, yeah. And there was some some comment that Jack White made about playing guitar, and it was it was something about he plays the guitar like it's supposed to be painful. <laughs> and it was just like, ah, that's that's. But if you listen to the White Stripes and Jack White stuff, I mean, it's all very unique. But I think a lot of stuff he does kind of follows in that innovative you know and that's the thing i mean who's been as innovative as eddie van halen oh my god i mean just in the stories of when he first came out which just played it with his back to the crowd so they couldn't see what he was doing so they didn't rip his style off right 
But oh, I mean, goodness. no one's been more copied in the past no. forty years no. like uh, him. No. I mean, you can think about Rage Against Machine, brought something a little different. Yeah. Um, but I mean, is there like, did they change music? The face no, of music? Yeah, no, nobody, nobody can touch what he did. I mean, because the eighties was all the tapping and everything yeah. that Eddie brought to the yep. brought to the game. Yeah. I mean, that's um, that's something. That, mm, it's crazy. Sad to think about. So. You know, again, I, I don't even know what to make of it. It's 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 all too bizarre to me. This crazy twenty twenty that I, I don't even know what to make of it. So uh, you know, you know, I, I talked about Whalen. You know, and lost Johnny Cash, and yeah. then and you know, and then you talked about Damage Plan and the accident that happened there with Dime, and then you got Lemmy from Motorhead, and you got Do, and I mean, it's just it's just life goes on, man. It's just sad yeah yeah so all right so what everybody's probably i know i'm at least anxious to hear about how the rock how'd the rocktober birthday party go oh okay i'm jump i'm jumping ahead i'm getting out of the the deep dark sadness and hopefully moving on to something good oh yeah well let's change the subject um <laughs> unless you have anything else to say about eddie i, don't, I didn't mean to cut you off that i i we're all we're all in pain. That's all. all right. I, that's all I can tell you. All right. Just uh, we're just sharing our thoughts. Um, okay. So yeah, a couple weekends ago there, um, celebrated my birthday. Uh, let's see. Um, have ever mentioned that I have the same birthday as Sting, Groucho Marx, Mahatma Gandhi, Bud Abbott, Evan Costello. And I have I was born exact same day as Kelly Ripa. We did talk about Kelly Ripa. Yeah, she's you know she's held up a little better in the looks department. Right, and um, I think I complimented you, and you got weirdly awkward about it. <laughs> I, you know, I forgot about that, but thanks for bringing that back. You're, up. You're, you know, I, I have a strong ability to block things out. Sure, sure. So, all right, so you've opened that door. Um, I just want to make sure you remembered. But anyway, uh, had an outdoor party. Yeah, had a fire pit. Right. At a keg. Yep. A yingling. Nice. Yeah. Uh, the host was a huge yingling fan. Gotcha. So that was good. Um, had finger food and had a live band that started at 6 o'clock at night. Right. I remember that. Uh, the only problem was is we had rain from 6 to 6.30 and from 7 to about 7.45. Uh, between 6.30 and 7, the band attempted to get music going. Okay. Um the first song they played was Hotel California. After that song, I was told that they called out to the party and people that were close by. I was on the other side of the house, so you know I heard them, but I wasn't like I didn't hear them call out for uh, any special request. Okay. My brother-in-law, whom I've known since my 16th birthday, as a fact, I had a cake party that. The night of my 16th birthday is the first time I ever met him. All right. Um, my sister, all I knew was my sister had a new boyfriend, and he was coming to this party. Right. So I never really talked to him. Um, now, the interesting thing about that night was that, you know, I woke up the next day, uh, you know, you know, buddy and mom was crashed out of the house. Mom and dad weren't. They were on vacation somewhere. That's right. how typically the cake parties happen at the at the old two hundred five there in Princeton. <laughs> um, so we walk out, we walk, go go out to the the driveway, out to the street, and we see this red Mustang 
that is perpendicular parked out in the street on the where you should be parking parallel. Right. It was almost perpendicular, uh, except the front was out instead of the back. So it wasn't like he pulled in. It's like he he drove up parallel, but then kind of veered off back into the road. Okay. And we walked down there, and the windows open. Now, it'd been raining. You know, it rained that night, overnight. And so the seats were wet, and we looked in, and there was a Led Zeppelin one tape in the cassette deck. And okay. my friend, my buddy of mine, was thinking about taking it. And I was like, you know, I think this is my sister's boyfriend's car. Right. Uh, let's not mess with it. Right. But anyway, that, so, you know, they, they're still together today. Well, good. Um, they called out special requests, and this... Man, I, I've got a jack ball. Before you say anything, I've got a song in my head, and if I'm right, I'm going to be so excited. You know what it is. What was it? No, say it. It's a brown eyed girl. It's brown eyed brown girl. girl. He freaking yells out. Cover band trilogy. Now, he told me all this. He said, "My, I, he knows how to push my buttons. He right. yelled out, Brown eyed girl, it's my brother in law's favorite. <laughs> the fucking cock. <laughs> um, so he. They proceeded to play the most hated cover band song ever, Brown Eyed Girl. And everybody at the party loved it. <sighs> After they finished the song, well, no, while they're playing the song, it proceeded to rain harder. Oh. Um, the gods said no. The, well, it was my birthday, <laughs> damn it. So it did, it actually started to rain harder, and, um, you know, they finished the song, but after they finished it, um, it, it was raining hard enough. They forced the band to stop because they're they were they weren't playing under any protection. Right, they were just out, out in the element. They were out by the the swimming pool, playing toward the fire pit. Gotcha. Um, no protection, so they had to cover their equipment. Um, but you know, after the rain stopped, they just they looked at their equipment, got too wet while yeah. they were playing Brown Eyed Girl, and they had to shut down because they couldn't yeah. plug back in. Right. Yeah. It was been safety issue. Yeah, safety. Well, and just blow the equipment. You right. Know. So we got to hear Hotel California and Brown Eyed Girl. Um, you know, I used to hear Van Morrison didn't play the song live because, but he didn't play it because he didn't like it. Uh, I, I have seen that he's added back to the set list recently. Okay. But I do know I, in a Time Magazine interview, he said he could name, and he said, quote, I can name 300, 300 songs of mine that were better than Brown Eyed Girl. Right. So obviously, you know, he's not a fan, despite it being his creation. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of that, you know, I did a little research on why he never played it years ago, and I made notes here. I, I, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with the contract he signed with Bang Records, which right. he recorded the song with. Uh, Van Morrison didn't get a lawyer to look at it, and the contract ended up that he would he never got royalties for the song. Really? So I think that he had a lot of resentment yeah, because of a contra- contractual issue. Yeah, if you're mainly. not getting paid for the song, that explains why you don't play it. His, his most famous hit, he's not getting anything for it. That's crazy. Yeah, so I think that probably. But overall, you know, I didn't feel sorry. For, I, I I know I'm being mean here, but they kind of <laughs> deserved it. You know, we're being rained on for playing that freaking song. But um, I wish my brother-in-law never told me that because I just figured they're just because this band normally plays. They used to play down at the casino, uh-huh. like on Thursday nights or whatever. Just that you know, house band that right. played cover tunes, and so they're good. You know, yeah. they know what they're doing. But uh, it's like, well, they're probably like every other cover band. They got to play this song. Yeah. And we talked about the list. 
Um, and they went off the list. They went off the list. I was like, all right. I didn't hire them. You know, sure. I'm grateful that you know that the host, yeah, is doing all this. Yeah, you know, I was yeah. really grateful. So yeah. I, you know, there's no reason to bitch. But you know, I got my personal vendettas. Yeah, exactly. That I keep. I try to keep myself. Of course, here I am. But um, but overall, the party was a success. Um, the lady of the house was happy. The man of the house behaved himself as much as possible, and that's really all that mattered. And that was my question. is Was this successful enough of a Rocktober coming back into the mix that it's potentially going to happen again? Because I know there was concern if it didn't go right, this was getting shut back down. Going, right. Going, this was probation. It was like COVID, yeah. yeah. Um, I, Frank the Tank did not come out to play. Okay. I don't think so. Now, the funny thing is that some of... The lady of the house's girlfriends were trying to get him to do a keg stand. Oh. They were like getting on him and saying, on. grabbing me and somebody else to volunteer to hold his legs up. And I was like, no, what the hell are you doing? We uh, talked yeah. about this. Yeah. We all know we're not doing this. He's got to behave. He's got to behave. Otherwise, it may, because his 50th is next year. Troublemakers. Um, instigators. 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 That's yeah. a good word. Yeah, they just want to sit back and watch the disaster They just happen. want to watch the world burn. They just want to watch the world burn. I was like, no, I, now I know what kind of person you are. Yeah, yeah. So that's the people you got to watch out for. That's right. So anyway, um, yeah, the party went great. And, you know, it kind of leads into my song this week. I think that's where I kind of got the idea for the song because, you know, the idea of hanging outside on a – October night, having that bonfire on a cool night, like it was that night, with you know, wearing wearing my jeans, wearing the flannel, wearing the old mud boots, you know, it was the right medicine for losing summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and early October weather always bring back memories of um, of the song I picked. It's a Neil Young classic from the Harvest Moon album. Um, it's the title track, Harvest Moon. Beautiful song. Uh, beautiful song, written and performed by Neil Young. Uh, off the album, the same name, released November second, nineteen ninety two. You know, it's the twenty. This album is the twenty second of forty studio albums he's, he's released. Forty studio albums, <sighs> not not including the three Buffalo Springfield albums he did right. before his solo albums. Um, or the didn't he, he was with Crosby, Stills and Nash too for a little bit, wasn't he? Yeah, he was Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Yeah. You know, did the Four Dead in Ohio, had you yeah. know the Woodstock and all that. Um, now I did include, you know, Long May You Run, the Steel's Young Band, you know, he did in 76. I mean, that's that's young right there for the most part. And everybody's rocking with the Shocking Pinks in 83, which actually that album helped lead to a lawsuit with his recording company, Geffen, who sued him for basically not sounding like himself. I have you gonna, ever heard that story? I have not, but I was going to say the thing, the interesting thing to me about Neil Young is with that that catalog he's got, I mean, he's he's labeled it the Godfather of Grunge, right? By some of that stuff, he, I mean, his you never know what you're gonna get when you get Neil Young. I yeah, mean, it could be bunch he, of pretty songs, it could be just heavy noise. It's oh, you have a crazy horse. Yep, it's just he's he's a very interesting artist. Yeah, he does not follow any formula. No, no. All right, so the story, you're, um, you're Geffen. Lawsuit story. Oh, well, I mean, I won't dive into that because we'll be here a long time. But, you know, I, my favorite Neil Young album is uh, Rust Never Sleeps. Okay. Uh, came out in 79, and they had a follow-up live Rust album, uh, live concert album. Um, then he signed on. He left his uh, he left Electra and went to Geffen. 
uh, got a big contract there. And the first album he comes out with is nothing like he'd ever done before. Right. Electronic, uh-huh. you know, um, just nothing. I mean, it's just like, what the hell is this? Right. But they release it because it's Neil Young, and he's been riding high on the success. And then, you know, he, they told him, you know, you need to do something a little more rock. And so he comes out with a Rockabilly album. That's nothing, again, nothing like he's known for, you know. It's classic hits. Again, and, instigator. Yeah. Troublemaker. Yeah. I, almost like, you know, oh, okay, you don't, you know, you go, okay, here we go. I'm going to yeah. do this. So, yeah, lawsuits and all that stuff. And, you know, eventually he, you know, leaves, um, leaves Geffen after a short spin with them um, and comes out with, you know, this note's for you. He did with the blue notes. Um you know, I, I included that in the 40 albums. And then, of course, you know, Keep on Rockin' with the Free World. Yeah. He comes back to the Neil that the grunge era loved. Um, and maybe I'll, yeah, I'll bring up another New York song. We can get into that. I'll pull something off that, uh, that first album he did with Geffen. This to show you just how different right. it was. Right. Uh, but anyway, this album recorded at Redwood Digital Studios in Woodside, California, up high in the Santa Cruz Mountains on the peninsula between San Fran and San Jose. Uh, mainstay studio for Neil Young throughout his career. Uh, outside Neil Young, using studio, the only, you know, I did some research on that studio. The only other artist of note to record a big album there was uh, Jewel. Uh, did her 97 hit Pieces of You. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Who's Gonna Save Your Soul and yep. other little affair anthems. Um, a little bit about the album and song. Uh, Neil, Neil played some of the demos for Lenny Warnaker, the head of Warner Brothers at the time. Lenny said it sounded like a reprise of the 72 Harvest album. Okay. Um, so he brought back the musicians he recorded the Harvest album with and included, you know, that you know that Harvest album included, you know, well-known songs like Old Man, The Needle and the Damage Done, Heart of Gold, and, of course, Alabama, which was, uh, you know, became the inspiration of um, Leonard Skinner's front man, Ronnie Van Zant, who wrote, who wrote the line, well... I heard Mr. Young sing about her. Well, I heard O'Neill put her down. Well, I hope Neil Young will remember a Southern man. Don't need him around anyhow, which is, of course, from Sweet Home Sweet Alabama. Home Alabama yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> the song Harvest Moon includes Linda Ronstadt on backing vocals. No kidding. Yeah, she's uh, she's on the backing vocals on that. Um, and she, who also sang backing vocals on the original Harvest album on, on the songs Heart of Gold and on the chorus of Old Man, um, which... She sung alongside, uh, you know, another singer-songwriter, James Taylor. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was cool to see. Now, Todd, you know, we're talking about Harvest Moon here. Did you know, I did not know this, did you know that every full moon throughout the year has its own name? I did not. Now, I've always heard of Harvest Moon. I think I've heard Blue Moon. You're right. Um I think there's probably a couple others I've heard before, but no, I didn't know every full moon had Har- a name. Harvest Moon is the name given to the full moon closest to the first Friday of fall when the daylight and the night are equal. Okay. Uh, it's the only moon whose name is not determined by the month it shows up in. Okay. Uh, January has a wolf moon. February has a snow moon. March is the worm moon. Worm moon. I get because worms come out the end of winter. Okay. It's my guess. April's a pink moon, uh, I guess for spring flowers, right. maybe. Uh, May, the flower moon. 
Okay. Uh, bloom time, I guess. Uh, June, strawberry moon. You know, peak time for strawberries, at least in the Midwest right. it is. Uh, July is the buck moon because that's when, you know, deer, bucks, deer, uh-huh. whitetails, I'm assuming whitetails start, uh, first start showing their antlers okay. on their forehead. Um, August is a sturgeon moon. That's a you know, bike rally reference. Uh, that's Sturgess. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I think it's a more of a tribute to fish. Gotcha. I, I don't know. Uh, but September is interesting because it get, it's either called the corn moon or harvest moon this year. Um, you know, twenty twenty. Um, it's either the corn moon or harvest moon. It can be. I'm sorry. In general, it can be a corn moon or a harvest moon. Um, it's corn year. Moon this year because the harvest moon happens in October. Okay, uh, we had it October first, so gotcha. that was 2020's harvest moon. All right, um, and you know it kind of goes back to my argument. I thought of my oh, my whole 28 day, 13 month calendar. Mm-hmm. If you had 20 days and every month the same, like the same, like you you would know what the Saturdays were, what numbers they were. Right, you know it. This whole calendar, I hate our Gregorian calendar. So you're, you're, I've never heard this before. You want to redesign the, our calendar? Well, if you think about it, 28 days every month, mm-hmm. 13 months. Okay. 28 times 13 is 364 days. Can't have 13 days. months, man. 364 days. Can't have 13 months. Why not? Can't have 13 full in a hotel. It's bad luck, man. 13. Is that what that's all about? Seriously? I, I'm going to guess. Well, if I, mean, I had to reach. It don't surprise me. But anyway, so moving on to October. Um, October has the hunter's moon. Okay. Know, that's when deer season starts yep. up. I'll get back to this one. Uh, November is the beaver moon. You know, shout out to beavers. And then December just has a boy. Shout out to beavers. Shout out, hey, we had shout out to fish. We had, <laughs> we've got shout out to beavers. Okay. And then uh, December is probably the most boring name, the cold moon. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, that's obvious. Who, who was a genius that came up with that one? Right, yeah. Now, getting back to the Hunter's Moon in October, what's unique about this year, 2020, as if it wasn't unique enough, is that Halloween, our Halloween coming up, yeah. will be the first time since 1944 that this Hunter's Moon will peak on Halloween night. The next one won't happen until 2039. Um, and... It's also the second moon of the month because we talked about harvest moon right. being October first. Yep. You got one on the thirty first, so it's going to be a blue moon. Um, oh, jeez. Um, yeah. So. And then don't we have like asteroids coming close to us too around that time? Well, that's election day. Which is just a couple of days after. Right, but yeah, I think those that's for those. They're coming for a different reason. They're just coming. <laughs> they're just coming because they're coming because it's getting ridiculous. Right. So, you know election time this year right and going back to the moon um also the this october 31st full moon coming up is a micro moon which uh you know we often we hear about the super moon which is uh you know a full moon that is exceptionally close to the earth you know about 20, 20 miles to be exact okay um a micro moon is a full moon that occurs when the moon is exceptionally far from the earth at least 251,656 miles from the Earth. So, on October 31st, you can point out to all your friends that we are having the Halloween Hunter's Hunter's Blue Micro Moon. God. Isn't that fantastic? Just 
stacking it on top of each other. With I mean, moons. I'm all about the moons on this one here. All right. Yeah. Anyway, back to the song. The song is a tribute to the second of three wives, Peggy Young, who has since passed away last year. I think she passed away on New Year's Day of uh, 2019. She was a co-founder of the Bridge School in California, really close to Neil's recording studio, just south of uh, San Francisco, which aims at serving the needs of children with severe physical and severe physical and speech impairments. Um, Neil and Peggy have had a, have a son named Ben who was born with a cerebral palsy, and, and you know, it kind of served as the inspiration for starting school. Okay. Um, Another interesting thing that... And I've heard about that bridge school. It yeah. It seems like there's recordings and artists go in and record songs and charity fundraiser type thing. Well, they used to always have an annual concert. Yeah. Because, you know, back in our Robert Stadium days, I, you know, I was... It was always been on my bucket list to see Neil Young. Now, I finally got to see him... I finally got to see him at Farm Aid in 2001 up at Indy. Mm-hmm. Um you know, with the John Cougar and William yeah. Nelson and all that. Um, but there, w- there would be certain years that he would only play what was called a Bridge School Benefit Concert. I never, I never knew what the hell that was all about, but it's always a monster concert. Um, you know, it's a concert that happened from, they used to have it every year, with the exception of 87. It happened every year from 86 to 2016, I think maybe that's when they got divorced. Okay. Might have something to do with it. But, I mean, this thing brought out the heavy hitters. Like, uh, of course, his Farm Aid brothers, you know, Willie Nelson, John Mellencamp, Dave Matthews. But also, like, Metallica, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Smash, Smashing Pumpkins, Florence and the Machine, Jimmy Buffett, Death Cab for Cutie, Beck, Tom Waits, No Doubt, ZZ Top, Elvis, Elvis Costello, Guns N' Roses, Steve Martin, Modest Mouse, Pearl Jam, Foo Fighters, R.E.M., Tom Petty, Robin Williams, Tenacious D, Adam Sandler, Billy Idol, Cheech Marin, Ministry, Simon and Garfunkel, David Bowie, Pete Townsend, Johnny Lee Hooker, Sonic Youth, on and on and on. I mean, every Goodness. every year they yeah. had a monster lineup. Right. Probably my fa- favorite lineup was the 94 lineup. I mean, imagine this concert. Um, Neil Young, Ministry. Tom, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, right. Mazzy Star, Indigo Girls, Pearl Jam, and Pete Drow. That's solid. That is solid. And diverse, man. God. Yeah, you imagine Ministry, Ministry following up wow. following up Tom Petty uh-huh. right before Neil Young or something. And everybody <laughs> going, what in the hell is this? Brother the life! Brother the life! I love Ministry. They're God. so fucking awesome. They are. Um, so... Harvest Moon is one of those songs that, you know, try to close this out here. Harvest Moon is, is one of those songs that uh, carry a different meaning to each of us. It's just, uh, to me, it just reminds me of those, like I said, those cool October nights when, you know, the corn is corn is in, but the weather's still nice, perfect autumn night. It just always, you know, I always saw it as the perfect kind of, you know, sitting by the fire yeah. kind of song, you know. It's, it's kind of got that. For lack of a better way to explain it, that that twang to the sound of the guitar. Yeah. It's just, it's a nice autumn. It feels like autumn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But one, you know, the thing I like to do when I'm, you know, I'm looking at videos, I like to go down to the comment section of videos right. on, on YouTube. And I did that for this one and found some interesting comments, how people connect to this song. Okay. You always talk about connecting. Yeah. Or, or when this, 
how he speaks to you. You right. always talk like that. Yeah. Well, okay. So some of the comments I saw was really cool. Uh, one comment, um, this man's music has gotten me through some pretty rough and depressing times in my life. When I'm on my deathbed, I'll have the entire Harvest Moon album blasted in the background so I can die in peace. Wow. Um, another comment, I was supposed to dance with my fiance at this, to this at our wedding. He danced with his replacement bride at the, at their wedding instead. But I still have a song, though. <laughs> um, let's see. What's some other? Let's just get down to the, this last one here is pretty good. I wish everyone my age would just open their eyes and realize the good things that Neil's music can do for a soul. He surely saved mine. I was honestly contemplating suicide, but I found Neil's live performance at BBC in 71 and cried during Old Man. It reminded me of my dad and grandma, what <clears throat> what they told me as a kid. And then at that very moment, it hit me what I need to do. The past, the days passed by and I got a hold of a cheap Fender electric guitar without an amp. I just played it like an acoustic and went ahead and learned the basic chords and learned Heart of Gold. After I taught myself how to play, I got good and discovered a passion that I never knew was there. Here I am three years later at the age of 19 doing things I used to dream of. I played three three times a week at two different pubs here in town and I got the courage to get myself back into acting and modeling. I'm honestly so proud that I've made it this far. Thank you, Neil Young. You saved my life. You turned it around and made me a better person. Sign. I mean, that's a comment that was in below the song. Signed, Jack White. <laughs> more than likely. <laughs> more than likely. Yeah. I mean, shit, Todd, when you hear comments like that, it tells you just how important music is. It's yeah. something we all have in common. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's that, that, that comment embodies you know like what I what you said I say is I mean it's every one of these songs speaks to me that I talk about in some way you know and and people have the songs that just mean something to them and you hear you hear from time to time artists talk about how you know they've been told their music saved somebody's life or, or whatever it is and I mean you got to believe it it's I mean it's yeah you, you may not be everybody a fan. interprets the song differently and it's heavier to some people, man. Like, there's songs that you listen to that you know I'm not a fan of, but I can appreciate what it means to you. I mean, because right. you know, music helps define the kind of the person you are, you know. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, that's Harvest Moon. Um, great song right now this time of year. That is a great pick. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, to just jump into my song here, a couple of kind of, I guess. Cross crossroads of, of things. You mentioned Sting earlier. Yes. Having the same birthday as you, and then just, you know. Born October 2nd. Kind of what these songs mean to people. Um, my song this week is by the band The Police. The Police, great band. Led by Sting. Uh, song is Message in a Bottle, and it is from the, I'm going to say this wrong, but the, is it the Regatta de Blanc? Yeah, Maybe. that's how I would say it. It's her second record. came out in 1979. <laughs> uh, notable on that record. It also contained the single Walking on the Moon, which is another great police song. Yeah. The Police, is, for me, I don't know how you feel about it. The Police is one of those bands that, as I was growing up, man, I was heavy metal. I was, you know, Motley Crue, Skid Row, hair metal bands. That's who I was, and I really didn't pay attention to much else. So The Police is one of those bands that 
probably mid-90s I stumbled across. Oh, really? Well, I, I You didn't know them back when they were together. I, I did purchase the Synchronicity cassette. Okay. Um, when it came out. And I don't remember what song even was on there that, that I thought was great. But I did get it. But I remember just thinking, eh, it's okay. It's, you know, I, I still wasn't a fan. I liked one. I think it was probably one of the Synchronicity songs. It just sounded... There were two by that. There was the Synchronicity yeah. 1 and Synchronicity yeah. 2. Yeah, it's whichever one I can hear kind of... It, it reminded me of like Blade Runner or Road Warrior kind of sound to it. Probably... I think... I want to say 2. Synchronicity 2. Yeah, it's got, it's got a weird intro. Yeah. So I did buy it, but at the time, you know, it was like, oh, okay, I listened to it maybe a couple times and just threw it on the back burner. But I'm going to say mid-90s, I stumbled across, it's a, a live album, Police Live. And I think one, of, it was a double disc. Um, yeah, it came out after they yep. were done. Yep, live, the Police album, recorded, uh, came out in 95, recorded in 79, one album, or one disc was in Boston, one other was a 1983 show from Atlanta. But I was always drawn to the Boston show. There was just, you know, early police had that attitude and just whenever you hear a band that's up and coming and they've got that attitude to them. And it's what I think I like most about the songs on it is all the songs seems to be played faster than you normally hear them. Right. So it's got that real edgy kind of punk rock kind of life. Yeah, they, they came into the game kind of out yeah. of that punk era. Yep, exactly. So, you know, and, and there's even uh, the, the first song on it, I think, is next to you. And it's interesting to me that, you know, it starts and they start playing the song and it sounds kind of muffled. And then halfway through the song, it's like the front house engineer was like, oh, I got to fix this sound. And the sound kind of gets bigger halfway through the song. And there's something about that weird error. Transition. Rawness. There. Yeah. That I just I dig. It just it's a tr- to me, it's a true live sound. Because it's got all the mistakes in it. So. Gotcha. Um, and that's so where you kind of rekindled your... That's where I kind of like, you know what, man? I never gave the police much of a chance. Maybe I should kind of go back and, and kind of dig in a little bit. And, and a lot of, you know, I never went back and bought records and stuff like that, like I've done with other bands. But, you know, I still play that live police album today. It's, okay. just, it's just a great record. It's, it's got early stuff on it. Um, but as far as Message in a Bottle, it has been, for me, I don't know, you know, we talked about the Neil Young song being emotional in some aspect. This the message in the bottle to me is I love, I love the sound of it. I love the lyrics to it. I love the message of it. And it's it's one of those songs that, you know, if I'm having a crummy ass day, it's it's one of those songs that kind of pulls me out of it because it's, you know, essentially it is the story of being alone on an island and having no one, sending out a message to try to find someone. And after a year of nothing back, right? I would, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, you're not alone, basically. You're, yeah, you're basically not alone. And you know, it, it kind of got me thinking about it. And you know, again, I'm not trying to turn this into a PSA or anything, but man, this 2020 and this COVID, it's scary times, man. And it's well, it's just, that connection's gone. Yeah, you. Know? you you know, everybody's staying in or doing whatever. It's 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 spooky. So I mean, I, I think the one thing that this song kind of inspires thought wise with me is if you're going through something, man, you gotta you can't keep it in. You gotta send it out. You gotta yep. send that message out because you know I I truly believe at the end of the day when you think you're alone, you're never alone. There's always somebody that cares or will listen or whatever. And sometimes it's just it's a matter of just 
speaking whatever it is that's on your mind to get it out and then you feel better and that's the same token man it's you know if if you ever called me or if anybody i know ever called me and said man i just need to talk through some stuff i feel like it's my obligation to just listen to it because it's this this year man i'm not gonna lie i've had good days and i've had bad days and it's it's freaked me out some i got you this is just this whole new normal or whatever you want to call it it's it's frightening in some in some parts but yeah it's i mean it kind of reminds me of uh i remember one time uh michael stipe of rem when he talked about songwriting he, he always felt very insecure about it because yeah. uh he's like eh, is this a you know is this a song that's going to connect to people is it not and then he finally came to the realization like well if this song makes me feel this way then there's going to be others out there that right. feel the same way right so yeah. we're all connected on that level yep Back to the police. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to try to do this five album rule that you got thing. So okay. synchronicity would be their synchronicity would be their fifth album. Right. So look at it. Yeah. Look at them. They're legends. There you go. <clears throat> and again, um, message in a bottle. So one of the quotes I found, Sting in 1993 said, "It's a good song that can move me. I like the idea that while it's about loneliness and alienation, it's also about finding solace." and other people going through the same thing, kind of like we just talked about. All right. Uh, the police themselves, three ambitious jazz musicians that came together at the time of punk rock. Um, Good way to describe it. Yeah. You got Sting, of course. You got Andy Summers and Stuart Copeland. And one of the things that just, you know, I watched them, again, some stuff on that Axis TV channel, did some internet searching. And the one thing I ran across a couple of times was the police, I guess, had always kind of been looked at as Sting and his backing band, which, yeah. you know, he's he's your legendary front man. Narcissist. Nar- yeah, what, yeah, whatever you want to call it. And then, you know, broke out into acting and doing all those other things. So he kind of he kind of became the focal point of the band. But, you know. I he was a main songwriter. He was a main songwriter, but I... I I think a lot of that was because he made himself the main songwriter. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, Andy Summers, phenomenal guitar player. He could play any chord in the world. Yeah, and Stuart Copeland, just a ridiculous drummer. And when I think of Police, that's who I always think of because he has such a unique drumming yes. style for rock music. Yep. That you know it's him. Yep. Oh, exactly. And, uh, you know, <laughs> even with mentioning the drumming, there was a. Uh, there was something I saw in one of the things I was looking at. Talked about for this song, the drum parts were overdubbed from six different recording sessions to get that sound. Really, on this song. Son of a gun. Yeah. So yeah, recorded six like times that. and put it together, and oh, it's crazy. Yeah, it is a it, it is a piece of work. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, let's see, what else do I got here? Uh, one thing I saw that I thought was interesting is, so when the police got together, their first single, which I believe was called Fallout, was reviewed by Mr. Mick Jagger in a magazine. The Rolling Stones' Mick Jagger. Yes, the Rolling Stones' Mick Jagger. Okay. And uh, the, the police always kind of said that, you know, people knew who they were now because of Mick Jagger mentioning them in a review. Who was... Top of who his game at the time. Rolling Stones, yeah. Mick Jagger. So, yeah. yeah, Mick Jagger reviews you. People are going to know who you are. Um, and now, so as far as the police sound, they kind of had that reggae rock, new wave. Oh, yeah. Came out in the time of punk. Heavy reggae roots Very there. unique kind of sound to them. I mean, it was uh, it was very interesting how they kind of stood out 
in that sea of everything else going on. I mean, the Clash, you know, they they really got into the reggae sound too. Yep. I mean, yep. a lot of the bands did that came out of that punk movement, but I mean, nobody had the lyric writing thing brought to it. Oh you know, no, storytelling yeah. yep. and you know the ability just the ability just to make a hit song. You know, right? They got so many hit songs. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, so the song was recorded at the Surrey Sound Studios. Hey, I think we mentioned them before. I think we've talked about them before. Uh, Susie and the Banshees is another artist that had, had recorded there. <laughs> I always think of Beavis and Butthead when they did that review of their Peekaboo video. Oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> Peekaboo! Peekaboo! <laughs> and Beavis was just kept doing that over and over. It was hilarious. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, so back to the studio, Surrey Sound Studios at the time, uh, cost 6,000 pounds to make the record, which is roughly $7,700 in 1979. And just for fun, just kind of looked it up to see kind of what that would relate to. And what the internet tells me is, uh, it would be about $29,000 in today's money. So that's about, it. That's it. Wow. They were, you know, this, this documentary I was watching on them talked about how it was just like go in the studio for a week crank out a record go on tour go into the studio for a week crank out a record go on tour and they were notorious for keeping costs low going in there doing their thing not spending a ton of money so yeah it's pretty amazing that they made a record so quickly and, and so cheaply and it was so well received and so good yeah um, and I think that's a testament too. I mean, it's again, you know, Sting, Andy, and Stewart were jazz musicians, and you know, typically you think of jazz musicians as, to, for me anyway, they're a higher level of musicianship. I mean, they're more theory and more understanding of how things go together. So yeah, it's not it's not power rock by no means. No, no. Uh, the studio itself was in operation from 1975 to 87, run by Nigel Gray and his brother Chris. Uh, well, it was a converted Dairy Depot building in the south of England. And then uh, when Nigel passed away, Sting says, quote, Nigel was a qualified medical doctor who followed his passion into music and was able to use his kindly bedside manner to coax three extraordinarily successful records from a band operating at the time on the tiniest of shoestring budgets. We simply couldn't have done it without him. Yeah, he was a big part of it. Yeah. Him and... Uh Oh, their manager was Ian's brother. Uh, Stewart's brother, yeah. Stewart's brother, yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. So, uh, and then back to Sting, you know, it talked about when they were on the 1980 tour, it took them to places, they went to places like Egypt, Taiwan, India, Hong Kong, and these are places, I guess, that people didn't typically tour. So the fact that they were going there on this tour generated a bunch of publicity for them. As well as just being on tour themselves, they go into these places that people don't normally go. All British provinces, maybe. Maybe I'm not really sure. I don't it's, know if Hong Kong was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then you know, obviously Sting started acting. That took off. Took him away from the band. Uh, Stuart Copeland, I think, got some success in scoring movies. And yeah. Kind of started turning the wheels that maybe he had more to offer than just being a drummer in the band. That and Andy, what kills a band. <laughs> yeah. And then Andy Summers was a well-sought-after session player as well. And then he also became a photographer after kind of his sting, or sting, the, the police, police era. Yeah. So um, one thing that I found interesting about them is the band, I guess, decided unanimously that, hey, we're kind of at the peak of everything. 
and they yeah. played a show at Shea Stadium, had a number one album, and decided, okay, we're done. Yeah, they were at the top of the game. And, and there was no announcement. It, there was, it just, they just stopped being the police and went their own separate ways. And usually when a band breaks up or does something, you know, we're all creative differences. We're all going to seek other stuff and whatever. It's a strong statement to me to be like, you know what? We've done everything we've set out to do and let's just call it. Yeah, not too, I can't name too many bands that no, did that. They're comfortable with that. Yeah. And just to, just to be comfortable with that. So that's that's amazing to me. But, uh, and this was 1986, and then 1992, Sting gets married, and at the reception, uh, police gets on stage and plays Roxanne and Message in a Bottle. Yeah, I've seen video of that. Yeah. Somebody recorded that. Yep. And then, uh, again, in 2007, the police reunite for a 30th anniversary tour, toured the whole world, huge success. Read that at the time it was the third biggest grossing tour of all time. Didn't do a new record, just kind of went out there and played the stuff. And and we've talked about that before. It's, you know, ACDC's got a new record coming out. I'm sure it's going to be cool. But if I go see ACDC, I know what I want to hear. And I think... Cover you in oil? Yeah. Yep, cover you in oil. That's, that's encore. <laughs> I want a mistress for Christmas. Mistress for Christmas. Yep, you got to open with mistress for Christmas. Yep. No, it's it, it maybe. Yeah, it's either like, the standards. It's like everything about the police to me is how you do it. Cool. We're at the top of our game. We can't get any bigger. Let's quit. We're you know, however many years later, we're going to do a world tour reunion thing, anniversary tour. We're not going to put new stuff out. We're just going to play the stuff people want. I mean, everything about it to me is correct, and I love it. Well, they didn't get really get along either. I mean, there was a lot. No, of yeah, there's there's legendary legendary fights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I had to add to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it was almost Beatles in yeah nature. Yeah, I mean, the only one that kind of has a similar story as far as that goes is the Beatles, right? Because they were you know number one band and but. They again had trouble getting along. I mean, yeah. you know, they talk about their, you know, when their manager died, everything just kind of went to crap. And well, know, I think when you're in one of those bands like pitch. that, that's legendary and and makes such an impact. You know, I, th- I think the infighting certainly lends to the creative process and is beneficial, and probably as beneficial in some ways as it is destructive. And I think that conflict. Helps create that greatness. Yeah, it, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't like it was drugs or right. Yeah, any, anything like you know the story of Aerosmith. It was just um, right personalities. Yeah, right. Yep. And after so much time with the same people, I'm kind of trying to figure out how long it's going to, what episode it's going to be, where you flip out on me and just I don't need your shit. I can do this without you. <laughs> and then it becomes you know Jimmy's playlist tells. Hey, story. this is your show, baby. This, I'm, hey, I'm riding your wing. Shit. This is, this is if anybody's going to get ego, it's going to be you. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know I'm right. Uh, you know what? And at the end, and I can say this with strong confidence that at the end of the day, I know that there is no way this I could do this without you. The the, the whole you'll you could the replace whole, me with no, somebody. Nah, nah. there's a lot of personality. I probably in your world. could, but in all, yeah, you in probably all, could. In all honesty, I mean, the reason I started <laughs> and I had this conversation with somebody the other day was talking about your just your great stories. And I was like, you know what, man? That's why Jimmy's the guy for this. For me, your stories are the best. You just, you hey, just have great stories. Now, nah, you know your uncles. 
I think it's your uncle's. You told me one time. God. Um, what have I done? Well, you were down. Somebody in your family had a river camp. And mm. you were just down there listening to them talk. Yeah. And you told me one time that. Just the, the John Wayne story? Yeah, exactly. You know exactly what you're going to. It's one of my favorites. Why don't you tell it? You know. So, so yeah, down at the river camp, 4th of July. One of those, you know, huge family gatherings. And this has probably been 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, it's been a while. And uh, God, just saying, you know, one of those where you just, you drink all day and there's food always on the fire pit. And, you know, there's holiday party. There's probably 150 people down there, you know, just sitting around waiting for the fireworks show. And, you know, as I'm in this ring of conversation with, uh, with some folks that were a generation above mine, you know, just kind of happened to be around, you know. The best stories, you right know, there. it's 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 one of those deals where when you're having drinks and you're with friends and family and you're just talking shit all day, it's one of those deals. And somebody had said somebody had mentioned a name, and I don't even remember what the name was, but all I remember is one of the guys in the circle was like, "Man, that son of a bitch! I'd ever tell you what he did to me." <laughs> and everybody's like, "Oh shit! What? You know? Yeah, this will be good." And he's like, "Well, man, that dude—he knows I'm a huge John Wayne fan." Biggest, I love everything John Wayne does. You know, all the movies, read everything I can about him. Just huge, huge John Wayne fan. Starts telling me about this biography, that some movie they made about him. And said, you know, now uh, uh, bear with me here because, you know, it's kind of slow at the beginning. It takes a little while to get into it. But if you stick with it, the payoff's there. It's a great John Wayne story. Man, dude had me watching Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> And I'm just, I'm, I, and, and I'm thinking, number one, uh, I'm falling out laughing my ass off. Number two, I'm thinking, God, I hope I can pull shit like that when I get older. I, that, that is, to me, that is the perfect. That's the perfect I love that you. That is the perfect I love you, and I'm going to screw with you. And here, here's how I'm going to mess up your day. You like John Wayne, man? Have you ever seen that movie, Brokeback Mountain? It's slow. It takes a bit to get to it. You're right. But if you stick with it. Oh, see. No. Hey, anybody that broke back mountain, how would you describe that movie? Oh, I, you know what? I've never seen it. Well, I do know the basic idea. It was a. It's like two cowboys fall in love or something, right? Well, it's two cowboys, both men fall in love with each other, right. but it, but it, it was in a, it was out in the mountain range where right. that stuff was just not From cool at all. Yeah. I mean, you might get freaking murdered by other cowboys right. and you find out that you're yeah. gay. Right. Yeah. So he, it was just a movie about dealing with the emotions of being gay and not being able to, right. you know, put it on the, you be know, be comfortable in public yeah. with it. Yeah. Both of them. God. It broke, and, and you know what? And Brokeback Mountain, and I know I've told, I've got this <laughs> He other. told him it was about job weight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. He was pissed. Oh, I bet. He was pissed. <laughs> but, uh, and then the other two, you know, anytime, for whatever reason, anytime, like I'm flipping through channels, if I see Brokeback Mountain listed on, you know, it's playing on one of the movie channels or whatever, there's one particular buddy of mine, Brad, that I will call him or send him a text every time. It's like, dude, showtime, Brokeback Mountain's on, tune in. Oh my God. And I just always, and I don't, I don't know why I started doing it, but I just do. And it's just, it's funny to me. And I don't think he ever tunes in. He might, I don't know. Um, and then if you watch <laughs> Family Guy, there's, I don't even remember what episode is. Uh, it's been a while, but I know there's so. one where it's, it's some, rev- some movie clip and it's Brokeback Mountain from the perspective of the horses. Oh, wow. And it's got the two horses standing there and it's like, wow, it's kind of late. And, you know, it's weird these guys aren't up already. 
And he's like, I'm going to poke my head and see what's going on. And he sticks his head in the tent, and he comes out, and he's screaming. And he's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And it just <laughs> strikes me funny. But Well, that movie was kind of, there weren't too many movies like it before it came no, out. No, no. Yeah, so it, just, it was, yeah. for straight people, it was kind of uncomfortable at the time. Right, exactly. And I could imagine it probably. <laughs> I, again, I've never seen it. It's supposed to be a great movie. It's just. It's not my cup of tea. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, back to Message in a Bottle. Kind of wrap this up. For me, honestly, Message in a Bottle, anytime I need to pick me up or to remember that, you know, I could be in a room full of people and still feel alone sometimes. This is a great song to just kind of remind you, man, you're not alone. Oh, yeah. It's just. Great story behind it's, it. You know, it's. You know, the whole first half is this whole man. I'm alone. There's nothing. There's no one out there. No one out there. And then in the end of the song, when the you know thousand bottles or whatever it is, million bottles, hundred million, hundred million bottles. Yeah, looking for a home. It's you know, it's just a nice reminder that as bad as it seems, it's not that bad. Amen. And we all need that reminder. I think. Sometimes. Yes, we do. So, especially this year. Especially this year. Exactly. Exactly. So. Message in a bottle, please. Awesome. Check it out. All right. We've gone long again. Imagine that. Yeah, we're getting good at this going long stuff. Yeah. We're really getting winded. Yeah. Really getting well, long-winded. That's okay, though. That's all right. We got hey, several people that continue to listen, so I guess we're doing something all right. <laughs> Having all walked off. Right. Yep. All right. All right. Good deal. All right. Well, is it, you got anything else? No. Nope. I think that's it for this week. All right. Well, uh, take care, and we will talk to you all later. Bye.